Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we're continuing our series on miracles, and what I wanted to do this morning was, uh, I'm going to have the tech team uh, put the picture up here on the screen. Some of you have probably seen versions of this before. Um, there it is. Now, I would just take a look at that picture. How many see a young woman with a choker necklace that you're looking at from kind of over her left shoulder? Anybody see that? Okay. How many see an old lady wrinkled with a really big nose? Okay. How many can see both of those? How many can't see a thing? Okay. Um, just for those of you who can't, okay, for the young woman, um, this is her shoulder. Okay. That's the choker necklace. This is her chin over here. That's her nose, and that's her ear. Okay. You everybody see that now? Okay. For the, uh, for the old lady, it's, um, this is her chin. That's her mouth. That's her nose with a really big bump on it right there. Okay. So you can see them both now? Yeah? Okay. It's amazing what happens if you can just kind of shift your focus a little bit and, and change your perspective um, or, or begin to see things um, with fresh eyes. It, it starts to change not only how you look at things, it starts to change your life. Uh, which, by the way, um, next month we are starting a brand new series that I am just really, really excited about, talking about the process of change and how you can become God's best version of you, what God intended you to be. Um, and we're going to do it church-wide um, with our small groups, with our, our Sunday morning studies, and uh, some really, really cool stuff. I'm just really excited about it. I'll tell you more about it later, but just kind of getting you ready. Um, today we're going to talk about this miracle, um, particularly this miracle of Jesus where he heals a man born blind. Now, through this whole series, some of the things we've been saying is understand that when Jesus did miracles, okay, it wasn't just some traveling sideshow. He had a meaning for him. He had a purpose for doing these things. Uh, and in fact, in John's gospel, he actually uses the word sign. It's a very technical, very specific term. And it, talks, it refers to something that points to a deeper truth or, or something that, that points for greater meaning. And so in this miracle, Jesus is trying to teach us something. And so we're going to look at one of my favorites today. It's in John chapter 9. Um, the reason it's one of my favorites is just the detail that John takes as he tells the story and, and narrates what happened. Um, plus, it's just filled with all kinds of irony and, and, and a little bit of humor, too. So it's one of my favorites. You want to follow along. It actually happens in three separate scenes. So we're going to start scene 1, John chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 7. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says, as he went along, he being Jesus, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I want to talk about this morning in this passage is learning to see like Jesus sees. Um, because I think that's what he's really getting at here. And we'll, we'll kind of unpack it a little bit this morning uh, take a look at what, what this miracle was happening, what was he doing, why was he doing it, and what he wanted his disciples to learn. Um, and it's all about really learning to see like Jesus sees. 
And there's some changes that'll change. It'll shift your focus when you start to look through Jesus' eyes when you look at people. One of the changes is that instead of looking to blame, you begin looking for what God can do. It's been a recurring question um, as we're go, going through this series. It keeps coming up, particularly in the healings. It's like, why? When tragedy happens, when, when something goes wrong, when life falls apart, and it's a question we still ask to this day, why? Why is this happening? And that's what the very first question, in fact, it's actually vocalized here by the disciples. It says in verse 1, as he went along, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that seems like a really strange question, except that, as we've been talking about, there was this whole idea, and it actually still continues to this day, that somehow suffering is linked to sin. And if there's any kind of suffering, there must be a correlation, a direct correlation to sin. The problem is, this guy's been born blind. I mean, he, he, from birth, he's been blind. So that raises the question, if, if sin comes from suffering, uh, suffering comes from sin, then, then why is he suffering? And so that's why they ask that question. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Again, it seemed like a strange question, but there was actually... A lot of rabbinical debate that went on in that time. In fact, there were some rabbis who taught that if a pregnant woman went into a heathen temple, the fetus would be guilty of idolatry and would be born guilty of idolatry. That would be their first service. I said adultery and it came out wrong. So it's idolatry. Okay? Um, and that was actually the belief. Because you know, where does sin start? And that's kind of the question. Um, suffering equals sin. He's been born blind. That's his suffering. It started from very birth. So how did it happen? When you read these stories, one of the things I like to do and what I encourage you to do is kind of insert yourself into that situation. Kind of put yourself in in his sandals, the the blind man. Because he's sitting there and and he hears these, these guys kind of walking by. He can't see them. He just hears them. And as they're passing by, and he's probably heard people talk about him all the time as he's walked by. But these guys, this is a religious group. And they start talking as they're walking by. And one of them says, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I don't know about you, but if it's me, there's part of me that would want to say, you know, hey, guys, I'm blind, but I'm not deaf. You know, I can hear what you're saying. <laughs> but it's like, you know, they're just, they're just asking the question because the disciples the disciples see an interesting theological discussion with this man. Notice the questions they don't ask. They don't ask the question, Lord, what can we do to help this guy? Is there any way we could be of service to him? Lord, we've seen you heal before. Is there a chance you could heal this guy? They don't even ask that question. Even though they have seen Jesus heal in the past, that, that thought doesn't even come up because to them, he is just a theological discussion. And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in your life. In other words, Jesus is saying, instead of asking why and who we can blame, ask the question, what does God want to do? What could God do in this man's life? What could God do in this person's life through me even? See, we ask the wrong question. They're looking for an excuse. They're looking for a reason. They're actually looking for more than that. They're looking for blame. And if you think that only happened back then, the number of things I have heard people say to other people who are suffering. Someone's injured. 
flat on their back and they can't get up because the pain is so great. And somebody, some well-meaning Christian will come along and say something along saying, well, if you just had more faith, you could get up and walk. Or a young couple have lost an infant child. And someone comes along and says, well, you can always have another. <laughs> like that helps. We had some very, very close friends of ours. Had a baby um, just shortly after we had our first. Um, and the baby was born um, with uh, muscular dystrophy. And, and they named their baby Tabitha. That was her name. And, and somebody, some, somebody came to them and actually said these words. The Lord told me to tell you that you named her Tabitha and that's why she's suffering. Yeah. Because we always want to find a reason. We want to find blame. We want to be able to... And see, because here's the deal. If we can find blame, it lets us off the hook. See, then we don't have to do anything. Um, Jesus says, this, neither this man nor his parents sinned. It happened so the work of God might be displayed in our life. If we, if we can assign blame, and we do this all the time, say, well, he deserves it. You know, this is what he did. He's, he's living the consequences of what he did. Jesus doesn't take that approach. See, if there's blame, then I can let myself off the hook. They deserve it, so I don't need to help them out. Or, or if they're just a theological discussion, we can sit around and have a good theological discussion and walk away feeling gratified that we came to a solution to the answer to the question and not have to do a thing to help the person. Jesus said it's to do the work of God. So he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, I don't know how much spit it takes to make a mud ball like that. But I can imagine it's more than one. And this man doesn't know this guy. He doesn't know who this Jesus is. And he's blind, and all he hears is somebody spitting. And boy, doesn't that just, doesn't that, that's just my life. That's just my life. I wonder how many times he's heard other people spit. I wonder how many times the spit has been directed at him because he's a sinner. Jesus doesn't do that. Don't ask the question, why? Don't try to find some excuse, some blame, so you don't have to do anything. In fact, he says, as long as it is day, we must do the work. Notice that. We, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. See, this is the thing that Jesus is getting at. We, we must do the work. Jesus didn't pick 12 guys just to hang out with for a couple of years. He chose these people, these 12 men, to be able to carry on his ministry once he was leaving this earth. He was preparing them to do the work of God. And one of the things he's showing his disciples is you got to start looking at people through a different set of eyes. Because we only had this little opportunity. We must work while it is daylight because night is coming. Now, that might be different for every one of us in this room, but I guarantee you night is coming for every one of us, and you have one little window of opportunity. This is your window of opportunity to do something, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. We, not I must do the work, we must do the work while it is day because night is coming and time is running out. And there are people around us who are hurting. 
And instead of looking to assign blame, look instead for what God could do through you. Because see, if you're looking to do God's work, you start looking at people through a different set of eyes. When you go through life looking for opportunities that God can use you to make a difference in somebody's life, you start looking from a whole different perspective. So Jesus does this, and the man moves on, and he's healed. Washes in the pool, and he's healed. And then the scene shifts. Now he goes back to his neighborhood. And in verse 8 it says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Then he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. See, there's another shift in focus here. It has to do with seeing people, instead of seeing people as an inconvenience, it's focusing on them as an individual. See, these neighbors weren't even sure it was the same guy. That's the thing. It says, um, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, they had seen him begging. They said, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. They don't even recognize their own neighbor which says to me that they have passed this man, however, long he, however old he is, however long he's been out there begging, they have walked past him day after day after day. Maybe even had to step around him. Maybe a coin or two every once in a while. But in truth, he'd been an inconvenience to them. He's someone that they just really didn't want to acknowledge. And in truth, what had happened is he ceased to exist. It's a non-person. His very neighbors can't even recognize him when he's healed. Have you noticed? Have you noticed when we see someone hurting, see someone begging, we have this tendency to avert our eyes? Or am I the only one? We have this tendency to avert our eyes because if we look somebody in the eye, then we might have to do something. If we acknowledge them as a person, then, then we've got to do something. It's much easier to avert your eyes. Who in your life do you know that you don't ask them how they're doing because they will actually tell you? (laughs) So you don't ask because you don't really want to know because if you know, then you're going to have to do something. You don't want to listen to their tale of, oh, you don't want to listen to the problems. You don't want to listen to the struggles they're going through because then you might have to do something. So basically, for the last how many years, he doesn't even exist to them. I mean, it goes on. They had this whole debate. Again, right in front of the guy. (laughs) They're having this debate. Is he hip? Is he hip? No, he just looks like him. And he finally says, it's me. (laughs) I ought to know. It's me. (laughs) See, Jesus had a way of noticing people like no one else did. You find it throughout the Gospels. When everyone else is telling people, don't bring your children to him. He doesn't have time for children. Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Let the little children come to me. This is the kingdom of God. A woman who is suffering, suffering immensely from from hemorrhaging, 
And she thinks, if I can just get close enough to touch his robe, maybe I could be healed. And she reaches out and touches his robe. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples say, there's crowds of people around you. Everybody's pressing on you. What do you mean, who touched you? Now, somebody touched me. Jesus had this way of noticing people. And that's what it means to look through Jesus' eyes. By the way, did you know? He is the first one to notice the blind man. Back in verse 1. It says he noticed him. That's what Jesus does. How many people do we rub shoulders with every day who are hurting, struggling, lonely, discouraged, defeated, beaten down by life? How many people do we come in contact with every day? Years ago, I heard Bill Hybel speak, and he said these words that have just stuck in my mind ever since. And the word sentence is simply this. You have never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. You've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. Because everybody matters. Jesus noticed. So I want to give you a little experiment this week. Just for one day. A one day experiment. Be on the lookout. You might do it today, this afternoon, because the day's half over. That makes it easy for you. And you might remember even. Or maybe some other day this week. But just, here's the, here's the assignment. For just one day this week, be on the lookout for somebody in need. Just, you don't have to do it every day this week. Just for one day. And see what a difference it makes on how you look at people. Just pick one day this week, maybe a day that you're not quite so busy, okay, that you can actually take time to look around. But take one day this week and be on the lookout for someone who is in need. And it might be something as simple as a word of encouragement or a smile. It might be something more than that. But just be on the lookout. Start your day saying, Lord, Today, I'm on the lookout. Let me see through your eyes. And then when you notice that person, just a simple prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do? Give me the right words to say. And then do it. And just see what a difference it will make. So finally, they realize this is the guy. This is the guy. And then they've got all kinds of questions. How did it happen? Who did this for you? Um, And he says, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Now, I want you to notice as we go through this story, this progression of faith and understanding of Jesus. Because right here, they're asking him, who did this for you? And all I can say is, the man they called Jesus. He doesn't know him at all. That man, they called Jesus. In fact, they asked him, where is this man? He said, I don't know. I don't know. But watch what happens as you go through the story. Because Jesus saw people differently. And instead of seeing an inconvenience that just needed to be walked around, he saw an individual who was in need. Now you'd think, you would think everybody would be excited about this. I mean, this is an incredible thing. This guy's been... Blind since birth, now he can see. I mean, you'd think they'd throw a party. They would all be, oh, you know, jumping, high-fiving, whatever. You would think there would be a great deal of excitement and happiness about this, but you would be wrong <laughs> because the story goes on. And now the scene shifts, verse 24. Excuse me, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Anybody know what's coming next? 
Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. This is like the third time he's telling the story, okay? Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. He's changed. From people called him Jesus. I don't know. But he's a man of God. Something's changing in him. So a second time. Now, then they go and do this whole thing with his parents, which we don't have time to go into. Verse 24, we pick it up again. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. Then he asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Catch this. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love this guy. I mean, he is debating teachers of the law and Pharisees, the guys, you know, that intimidates everybody, and he's not even intimidated. I don't know if it's because he's been sitting begging all of his life. I don't know what's going on here. He said, do you want to be his disciples too? I, I love that. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. For this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man said, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They don't know how to deal with this guy. Because they have a different way of looking at him. And here's the third thing. If you're going to look at people through Jesus' eyes, you need to stop looking at them with criticism. And instead of looking with criticism, try looking with compassion. Try looking with compassion. It says the day that Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. You see, what the the Pharisees saw was a rule breaker. And it is amazing to me how religion can make people less compassionate. (laughs) But what they see in this guy is a rule breaker. Disciples saw an interesting theological discussion. His neighbors, they weren't even sure what they saw. But for the Pharisees, what they see is a rule breaker. Because the rule was, it's the Sabbath, and you don't work on the Sabbath. Now, when you set up rules, and when when you live as a rule rule keeper, then you got to define, what are the rules? Do not work on the Sabbath. That's all God had said. But they added a whole list of things of what constituted work. Because if if I'm going to work on the Sabbath, i got to know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. If I'm not going to work on the Sabbath, I need to know what are the things I need to stay away from. And some of the things that were defined as work on the Sabbath was kneading clay. Jesus just spitting on the ground and making, making some clay out of the dirt and water was doing work. Just making clay because they did that. People made. They made clay pots. They made clay lanterns. made clay eating. That's what they lived. The clay was a very big part of their lives. So to make clay, to knead clay, to do that, that would be work. And that's against the rules. 
Not only that, the rules said you couldn't heal somebody on the Sabbath. Now, if their life was in danger, you could do some of the first aid to keep them from dying, but you couldn't do anything to improve their lot. I mean, that was Because if you did beyond that, that would be work. So you can, you can stabilize them and hope he lasts for another 24 hours, <laughs> but you cannot. You cannot do anything to improve his condition. In fact, it was actually written, if someone had broken their leg or, or sprained an ankle or something, they were not allowed to pour cold water over it because that would relieve the suffering and that would be work. So Jesus has broken all kinds of rules. And this guy walking around, he is the epitome of a rule breaker. Now here's the problem with rule keeping. In fact, there's a couple of problems. One is, rule keeping doesn't change a heart. Rule keeping doesn't change hearts. Let me give you an example. If you are driving down the freeway, and you look in your rearview mirror, and you see a black and white car with a bar of lights across the top, I bet nobody in this room thinks, you know... I think I want to become a better driver. (laughs) I think I should take some driving classes so I could improve my ability to drive. Nobody thinks that. In fact, what most of us think is, when is he going to pull off the road so I can get back to my regular speed? (laughs) Because all we're caring about is whether or not he's going to catch us breaking the rules. It doesn't change our hearts. Rule keeping never changes hearts. God gave the law to lead people to him. But it wasn't just about rule keeping. The Pharisees had made a whole elaborate set of rules out of it. But rule keeping doesn't change hearts. In fact, something else it does is it fosters this sense of superiority and judgmentalism. Because see, if I can keep rules that you can't keep, I'm better than you. And by the way, we tend to focus on the rules we're good at keeping and not on the ones we don't. We only see the ones we, that can't be kept by other people. And it fosters this whole sense of superiority and, and judgmentalism. In fact, it comes out in verse 34. When he, when he, when he, when he confronts him about the whole thing, he said, You were steeped in, from, in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Threw them out. You can see it right there. And that's what rule-keeping does. See, these guys have all the answers except the right one. Because <laughs> it's not about rule-keeping. In fact, they say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And this is what he says, verse 25. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. And those words of hope and mercy and promise and grace resonate with us to this day. John Newton, who made his life as the captain of a slave ship, he was a slave trader in the 1800s. And in one particularly violent storm, as his ship was being battled by the wind and the waves and starting to fall apart, he thought, sure, he was going to get what was coming to him, that this was the end of the line for him. He was going to die in the storm, and he deserved everything that God was lashing out at him. And then he found this book called The Imitation of Christ, and he started reading it. He changed his life because he realized there was hope for rule breakers. And a little while later, he wrote These words, amazing grace. How sweet 
a sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. Was blind. Now I see. These very words. We sang it together this morning. And that hymn has lasted for centuries because it speaks the truth about our God. He doesn't look at us with criticism. He looks with compassion. See, these guys, they can argue theology. They can debate religion. But they can't say anything and they cannot deny his story. Jesus isn't done. There's one more thing. And actually, there is a fourth scene to this whole story. It happens at the table a little bit, at the temple a little bit later. When Jesus goes and finds the man. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, Lord, where is he? Jesus said, now you have seen him. For I am he. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. In, in the span of less than a day, he moved from someone who only knew about this guy everybody called Jesus to recognizing that he was a man of God to recognizing he's the Savior of the world. And I need saving. Because Jesus noticed people like no one ever noticed people. And Jesus cared for people like no one else ever cared for people. And Jesus touched people and reached out to people like no one else ever had. And the point of this whole thing goes all the way back to verse 5. It seems like just kind of an odd aside to the whole story, but it's really the point because this is the sign and this is what it is pointing to. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And giving a blind man sight was just one example of how he brought light to this world. But the same Jesus also said to his disciples and anyone who would follow him, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In essence, what Jesus was saying through this miracle to his disciples is, I want to do my work in this world through you. And through anyone who will come after, who will follow me, I want to do my work in this world through you. Through you. Because we got this one little window of opportunity. And this is our time. This is our opportunity. And God wants to do his work through you. But it means looking at people in a whole different perspective. Seeing them as individuals. Seeing them with compassion. And seeing in them what God can do. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Oh,